you are a generous church, and it's easy to preach about finances and giving and tithing. And believe it or not, I'm not even going to touch on tithing one time this morning. So uh, everybody's like, <laughs> but it's easy to preach to a congregation like yourselves that is as generous and loving. And the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. So um, it's, it makes it easier. So uh, this message is in no way intended to make anyone feel guilty or shame. But overall, our goal, I believe, is twofold this morning. First of all, pastor has set up this message really geared toward our young people as well. So this message is to help our young people get on solid biblical ground, solid biblical insight when it comes to how to handle money. And secondly, if there are anyone who feels the burden of debt this morning, it's to offer hope and a source of escape. In a crowd this size, there's no doubt those who have managed money well. And if none of this is applicable for you this morning, then I say, fantastic, great. So you can help me by just praying this morning, because there may be someone here who needs to, to hear this and needs uh, that sense and source of, of hope. So pray, pray for them this morning. Our text is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. I'm just going to read it in its entirety this morning, um, and then we'll come back to it at, at different portions and so forth. But this father says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor... If you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, if you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, so do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us individually this morning and help us to pull the principles, the precepts from your word and apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you for Rhonda's song here this morning, It Is Well With My Soul. And as she was singing, Father, Lord, there's that phrase in there that says, whatever my lot. And Father, whatever our lot is in this area, we are thankful that we can have peace. So bless our time here together these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Pastor Theo put this series uh uh, together over this past month, I feel like he did a wonderful job of laying out the sermon and laying out the things that are relevant to our families. I said to Dr. John Hunt a couple of weeks ago after Sunday school class that I really feel like our families today are under attack. 
Our wives, husbands, children are being bombarded every day from a culture that is set on the destruction of the nucleus family. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, which is our key verse for this series, we are told to fight for our families, our sons, our daughters, our wives, and our homes. We are called to protect them by speaking truth into their lives. There are many ways for the enemy to sow seeds of destruction. And this morning we want to look at the area that has potential, that has the potential to be very volatile in the home. Dave Ramsey tells a story, I'll reference him quite a bit this morning, but he tells a story early on in his life that him and Sharon really held on to each other during the financial storms. He said sometimes we were holding on to each other just to get a better get better blow or whatever. But so the finances can be volatile inside of, of a family, unfortunately. Whatever you name it, let me uh, finances, money, bacon, mulaw, whatever you name it, let me say everyone has an opinion on money and how to use it, and I am no expert this morning, nor do I claim to be. However, I know someone who is, and thankfully he's given us his word, and he's laid out some clear principles. Now, Dave Ramsey is one that we would maybe reference as being a professional or being an expert in the area of finances. And I went to his website, and I found a little article where he outlined, I thought, some interesting statistics. He said, nearly two-thirds of all marriages start off in debt. 43% of couples married more than 25 years start off in debt, while 86% of those who have been married in the last five years start off in debt twice the number of their older counterparts. One-third of people who say they argue with their spouse about money say that they have hid purchases from their spouse because they knew their partner would not approve. I had a client tell me one day in a meeting as we were sitting there taking a loan application, her husband forgot his wallet. He had to go out because I need to make copy of his driver's license. And he got up and he left the room. And the wife looked at me across the table and she says, when you pull my credit report, there's going to be credit card charges on there that he knows nothing about. Wow. That made for some uh, intense circumstances. Luckily, when I pulled their credit, it was so bad I couldn't help them and I didn't have to deal with that conversation. So I was like, whew. Thank you, Lord, because that was going to be a, a, a tough channel to, to navigate. So um, anyway, but 94% uh, of respondents that say they have a great marriage discuss their money dreams with their spouses. So they have open communication with one another. Compared to only 45% of respondents who say that their marriage is okay or in crisis, 87% of those respondents, um, sorry, lost my place. 87% of respondents who say their marriage is great also say that their spouse and uh, them have been working together over a long period of time to accomplish their goals. And last, 63% of those with 50,000 or more in debt feel anxious about talking about their financials. Uh, about their personal finances. 
Almost 47% of respondents with consumer debt say their level of debt creates stress and anxiety. And anxiety. Which brings us to our first point. We must have a proper understanding of God's perspective when it comes to money. Having a proper perspective starts with an understanding that we are managers only. God own, we own nothing. God owns everything. If we do not manage properly, then we lose what we are managing. If I do not manage my marriage well, it could result in separation or divorce. If I do not manage my kids well, they could bring shame to our family name or heartache to their mother. If I do not manage my job well, I could end up unemployed. What we fail to manage well, we will lose. In the parable of the talents, Jesus said that we do not what we do not manage well, even what we have, will be taken away and given to another. In Matthew 25, we read, starting at verse 24, He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a man hard, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gathered where I did not scatter seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So we are called to manage well what God has given us because it's not ours. It's his. We are merely managers. The King James Version uses oh, an old English word called stewards. We are just keepers, just caretakers of what God has um, given us. I love the story of Nehemiah where Pastor uh, based the text from. Kind of a brief overview of it. Nehemiah was a Hebrew in Persia where uh, when word reached him that the temple in Jerusalem was being constructed, he grew anxious, knowing that there was no wall to protect the city. Nehemiah invited God to use him to save the city. God answered his prayer by softening the heart of the Persian king Artaxerxes, who gave not only his blessing to Nehemiah, but also uh, supplies to be used in the project. Nehemiah is given permission by the king to return to Jerusalem, where he is made governor. In chapter 4, verse 14, we are given some very wise words. Nehemiah says, after I looked things over. These five little words are filled with great wisdom. Nehemiah didn't just show up and start giving orders, did he? We are told in chapter 2 that at night he would slip out and survey the land, riding his coat, his horse, whatever, around the, the city and looking in the different, going through all the different gates. And it mentions there in the second chapter all the gates that, that Nehemiah went to. And he observed, he took note, he noticed. 
Then in chapter 4, we're told even as he begins to place families at the different portions of the wall between the gates to work, and they have their, some of them are holding the swords and the shield to be ready to fight if enemies come in. Even at that time, we're told in chapter 4 that, that Nehemiah says, I looked things over. So Nehemiah was a man who was observant to his surroundings. And I believe as families, as husbands, as wives, that we are called to be observant of our families, to survey, if you will, our surroundings, to regularly do an analysis of the state of the affair of our homes. Now, I've never went as so far as to have a regular state of the the union address in my in my house. Uh, I'm not sure the uh, the attendance would be uh, all that well received, but uh, but it does. We do have those annual meetings, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But as fathers, especially as fathers, and being the spiritual leaders of the home, we are called to survey our families, to look around, to see that everything is so fortified on all all fronts, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial. We are the caretakers of the home, if you will, the king of the castle. And it's it's our job, our responsibility to oversee, to look things over, to be conscious of the things that are going around, to survey the landscape. Many years ago, Daniel was only two years old, Stan Durnell, my father-in-law, took his, um, his sons-in-laws. Interesting, I don't think any of his own boys went on the trip. It was just us son-in-laws. <laughs> but anyway, he loaded us in a van and took us to Oklahoma City. And we went down there to attend a conference. And the, the conference was there to emphasize the importance of building a strong foundation in the home. And... Uh, Cindy, you might appreciate this. I went down there and I learned some words I had never heard before. Things like, they kept talking about multi-generational discipleship. Then they start talking about having a biblical epistemology. I'd never heard epistemology before. What, what is that? And it's a theory of knowledge, by the way. Then he started talking about a, having a biblical metaphysical Um, and uh, biblical ethics, and I didn't know what those words meant either. But what I remember is the fact that Stan took the effort to put us in the van and drive us down there, and I thought about it some years later. I even thought about it this week, obviously, in, in putting the final touches on the message. And I'm not speaking for Stan. I don't want to put words in his mouth, and he might actually be listening this morning, so I need to be careful. But I believe what Stan was doing is Stan wanted to develop men that his daughters were marrying and help those men to lay a solid foundation so that when his grandchildren would come and those grandchildren would begin to raise, it was Stan's way of being able to survey the land, to kind of look and to see where any cracks might be, where any weaknesses might be, and let me get these young men together that are marrying my daughter so that I can help lay a strong biblical foundation so that when my grandchildren come along, 
that they, I know what kind of home, I know what kind of structure that those kids are being raised in. He didn't just sit back and see how things would work out. Rather, he surveyed the landscape and he put forth the effort to help guide and help direct the end results. And I believe that's what Nehemiah was doing here. Nehemiah surveyed the landscape. He saw where the points of weakness were, and then he made the effort to correct those areas of weakness. And that's what we as fathers, and that's what we as husbands and wives do to our families. And we, I believe we need to do this in the area of finance as well. Reviewing and discussing finances is a huge part in our homes. Now, I believe both parties have a seat at the table. Both parties have a voice. After 20, almost 20 years in the finance business, I can't tell you the number of times that either a husband or a wife has said to me, well, they take care of all the bills. Well, that's great until that person passes away. And then the other party has no clue of what's going on. They have no clue of what accounts exist, what, what account numbers are, what passwords are, none of that stuff. This is not an area where one party should be passive. Now, one party may naturally be more gifted or more suited in a particular area, but both spouses have a seat at the table and both spouses should participate. Every spring, I get an inch to buy something. I don't know. Any other men like that in here? Sun comes out. The grass turns green. The weather warms up. And I need a new car or a new motorcycle or I need something. So every spring, Kathy has to kind of go through this ritual because she knows I'm going to get an inch to, itch to buy something. And every spring, Kathy says no. She has a voice. Even if she's wrong, she has a voice. <laughs> At the table. <laughs> to learn God's perspective, we must be in his word looking. Topical studies can be just as important as studying entire books of the Bible. Understanding that we are managers and it's all his helps me to remain open-handed and ready to deploy his army of dollar bills on the things that he desires and not, not me. Point number two, when it comes to finances, we must have a proper understanding of God's priority on money. Based on this passage in Proverbs, I would argue that God's priority is for you to be debt-free as quickly as possible. In Proverbs 6, in Proverbs 6 this father is instructing his son in the area of finances and specifically in that related to debt. Now, many parents have left this responsibility to the schools, and many schools are not teaching this stuff. If they are, then they are likely teaching it from the wisdom of man and not from the wisdom of God. Many of our young people leave home and are ill-prepared to face the finance changes, financial challenges that await them. Our young people need to know what God's Word says about money and debt so they can start off on solid ground. And that was this father's plea in Proverbs chapter 6. That was his desire. Now, first of all, let me just say that nowhere in Scripture will you find that debt is sin. Debt is not sin. 
You won't find it anywhere in Scripture. However, throughout Scripture, God does talk a lot about money because he wants us to manage it correctly so that it doesn't manage us. So debt is not sin, but the Bible does make it clear that debt is a trap. It is a snare, if you will. What a word picture this father gives to his son. He uses some pretty graphic descriptions. Now, there are many types of debts, and sometimes debt is necessary to accomplish a need or desire. However, regardless of how we categorize debt, the Bible makes it clear that it is burdensome. As a child, I watched my parents work through the stress of financial debt. Friday night was bill night in our home. And to this day, I hate doing bills. <laughs> Even the necessary ones, like paying the electric bill so I can stay cool in the summer and warm in the winter. I hate the process of sitting down at the table and doing it. So I do it once a month. <laughs> Because I don't want to do it any more than that. And I, I realized a few years ago, the reason I hated it so much is because of those experiences as a child. Every Friday night, mom and dad, though they loved us and though they loved each other, it was a fight. Because there was, what's the expression, there's always more wheat left at the end of the money. There was just, they just, it didn't matter how hard they worked. They both worked factory jobs. They both worked 40, 50 plus hours a week. They'd leave at 5 in the morning, sometimes wouldn't get home till 6 or 7 at night. And they worked and they worked and they worked. And they only had two boys. But yet those two boys must have been expensive. <laughs> um, and every Friday night, it was just, it was a fight. And somehow, we usually always ended up in trouble. I don't, we would go to our rooms and we would hide, but I, Dr. John, I still got in trouble. But it really, I think about it now, it really, it wasn't us. It was the stress of making ends meet, the stress of the process, the stress, the burden, if you will, the pressure of the debt. I grew up in a home where the, the mindset, if you want something, go get it. And then work like crazy to pay for it. And that made sense to me. I mean, that's how I was raised. And when Kathy and I first got married, bless her heart, she had no debt. And that was great because I had enough debt for both of us and then a few, few other people between student loans and car loans and credit cards and everything else. This father in Proverbs tells his son that he needs to go and free himself quickly. Go to the point, he says, of exhaustion. Allow no sleep to come to your eyes. Free yourself as quickly as possible. Now, I'm sure that many of us don't look at debt this way nowadays. This father, out of a tremendous love for his son and his son's future, tells him to avoid debt at all costs. And if he happens to find himself in debt, to go and get out as quickly as possible. Now, I'm constantly trying to learn about money and investing. I spend countless hours reading books, watching videos, listening to books on tape. I've read many, many books and from great authors that some of you would know, Larry Burkett, Dave Ramsey, Zig Ziglar, and then several that you probably had, have never even heard of. 
And I recently came across a quote that said, in order to be a professional at something, you really need to spend about 10,000 hours on uh, studying and practicing that. Now, Kathy might argue that I'm real close <laughs> because she's constantly saying to me, can we watch something besides a finance video on YouTube? Or do you have, is there a different book that we could listen to? We've kind of listened to this one uh, before. And a lot of what we read and a lot of what we hear, whether it's on TV or on the radio or on a podcast, seems to run counter to what God's Word says. God's Word talks about debt as a burden, as being cumbersome, as being a weight upon us, something that can trap us and ensnare us. But if you listen to the radio, you'll hear... Uh, People talk about debt as being leverage and debt as putting you in different positions and um, debt being a great way to bring income because you don't pay taxes on debt and uh, use other people's money. Very rarely do I ever hear someone say that debt is a trap. But if you listen to Dave Ramsey's podcasts or weekly radio show, you'll get very quickly understand as people call in and ask the questions, what debt does, how debt traps you, how debt snares you, and what the financial pressures, if you will, are on people when it comes to debt. People are drowning out there. Debt traps you and it binds you. The difference between someone who has debt or someone who owns everything free and clear is one word. Freedom. Freedom. When you don't have any debt, you have a tremendous amount of freedom. On the the other hand, when you are in debt, you are a slave to someone. According to the Bible, the borrower is slave to the lender. Did you not know? Did you know? I shared this with Kathy this week. She didn't have any idea. I'm surprised she hasn't made me change change professions. But did you know that the meaning of the word mortgage is death pledge? It's literally, it's where the mortician comes from, but mortgage means death. And um, yeah, so the meaning of the word mortgage is death pledge. Let that sink in. (laughs) Obviously, I don't have that on a sign outside my office. (laughs) I'm not sure that that would help me uh, drive up any uh, new business, and things are slow enough right now in, uh, in my world of, of finance and so forth. But yeah, mortgage actually means uh, death pledge. Um, and that's fine. As I said, remember, debt is not sin. God just wants us to be aware that it is a burden and to manage things wisely and to manage things securely. Not everybody can afford to pay cash for homes or for cars or for things like that. And so debt is sometimes, as I was talking with Pastor this week, sometimes debt is necessary for a home or or whatever it might be. But the Bible is clear, just get out as quickly as possible. Free yourself by all means possible. The second thing uh, about this trap is that debt actually puts us in chains. It means that we are in bondage and we don't have the freedom to go where we want or do what we want. We are subject to someone else. So here's what it looks like 
real life. Real life, or here's how it often plays itself out. There may be times in our lives where we truly want to help someone, a friend, a family member, a coworker in their time in need, but we can't. We can't because we don't have the ability due to our own chains. Sometimes as a parent, we want to help our kids, but we can't because of our own chains. Our own debt does not allow us the freedom to help them with theirs. Life happens, emergencies arise, and when we are in debt, we are limited on how we can help others. When Kathy and I became debt-free back in February of 2010, shortly after the fact that we had a single mom that was in our church who needed some help. As I left the office one day, as she was there, she was picking up her kids. I walked past her car, and I noticed that the tires on her car were bald. Bald is kind of an understatement. You know, after the rubber goes away, there's these threads <laughs> underneath uh, and along the side, and I mean, they were... They were just, I couldn't believe how bad a shape they was in. They looked like they could just explode at, at any moment. And here she is, single mom, two kids, barely can afford uh, daycare, let alone tires on a car. And as I walked past her car, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, she needs new tires. So I went home, I talked to Kathy. The next day, uh, she was, came to the church, and I, I don't remember what I said to her, but somehow I convinced her to let me borrow her car. And so I took her car down to the local tire shop, and we bought four brand-new tires all around her car, and we brought it back to her. And words, I mean, she just cried. She couldn't uh, express, uh, even put into words, the, the gratitude that she had. That evening, Kathy and I were talking, and we realized that the only reason we were able to do that is because we had worked so hard, and we had freed ourselves from our own chains, and we had, we had no debt ourselves, and so when you have no debt, it's funny, things, you have money. <laughs> it's funny how that works. If you don't have debt, you have money, and now that we had more of God's money, now we were able to deploy those dollar bills to do things that we felt like God was, was calling us to do. In January of 2021, Anna Bainey, I think is how she says her right name, wrote an article for CNN Business and stated that only 39% of Americans can afford a $1,000 emergency. Another 38% would need to borrow money either by using a credit card or borrowing from a family member. This father in Proverbs tells his son to quickly correct the situation if he finds himself in this position. And I believe God wants us to teach that to our children. Kathy and I, like many of you, I'm sure, we sit down with our kids. As soon as they get a job, Joe, Caleb started working with Joe this week. He got his first paycheck. He was excited, and he's only 17. He still lives at home. It's my job as a father to say, time out. Let's sit down. You need a budget. A what? <laughs> you need a budget. And so as parents, we sit down with our kids. We work through it with a budget. We explain to them that there are goals. There are things in life. There's short-term savings. There's long-term savings. There's things like clothing. You're going to be working now. You're going to be going through those jeans. Guess what? You need to buy your own jeans now. You need to buy your own clothes now. You know, we set, set them up on, on, on a budget but we don't just do it one time, do we? We do it for a while. We do it every week. They get that paycheck. 
We sat down. Caleb came in, surprised his mom over Memorial Day weekend. Well, he happened to get a pay stub in the mail that week. Sit down, Caleb. We got we to gotta work through this budget. And then we set him back down, and he'll be, uh, he'll be home here. I'm not sure when. I haven't talked to Joe, but he'll be home at, at some point, and we'll sit down, and we'll do it with him again. And we do this trying to build those muscles of getting into the habit of saving and categorizing and all that stuff. And then some point, we... Check in once a month. And at some point, we just trust that all that hard work plays, it, plays itself out. But that's what we do as parents. It's a process, and we help them to understand that. It's my responsibility to teach my children so that they know how to handle money. Because if they don't know how to handle it, it will handle them. I remind them that someday they may get married. They've heard this speech a dozen times. You may get married, and there's no guarantee that your spouse is going to learn how to handle money. Please don't anybody say amen. <laughs> there's no guarantee that your spouse is going to know how to handle money. Therefore, you must know. Pastor spoke last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, and he said there's three things you need to ask before you get married. I would argue that... Finding out how your future spouse handles money is a really strong number four. <laughs> because it can be volatile in the families. Now our last point here, we must have a proper understanding of God's principles when it comes to money. Now many of you know that I work in the area of finance. I actually sell death pledges. I mean mortgages <laughs> to uh, to people. And I will confess, I truly, I really, really do love my job. Now, I will also confess, sometimes I struggle knowing what God's Word says about debt and knowing that people are coming in and signing 15 and 20 and 30-year mortgages. There's, there's times that I struggle with what I do. But I love what I do because it gives me an opportunity to sit down with so many young people and help them get started on the right track. Home ownership is an amazing opportunity, especially here in America. And I get to help start them off on the beginning stages of that financial journey. My job allows me to be involved in some very in-depth conversations with young people and older people. I get to weave God's principles the principles of God's word into the conversations and guide them and equip both young and old to make the right choices financially. I've been doing this for over 17 years and I've been doing it long enough where now I get clients that call me and they say, yes, Mr. Tedrow, I want to buy a house and my mom said I had to call you. I love clients like that. <laughs> We don't, they don't have to shop around and try to get this mom said to use Gary, and so that, that's what they're doing. But their moms and their dads say this because I've treated them fairly. I was honest with them. I educated them along the way without them even knowing it's God's word. I'm instilling the principles of God's word into their life financially. You may not realize it or not, but you can get a Ph.D. in finance just reading the Word of God and applying those principles to your life. I've even counseled people that aren't even buying a house. They just 
said, well, so-and-so told me to give you a call. You could probably help me with where I've, where I've gotten myself in. So I find, I've helped people that aren't even in the area of, of getting a mortgage yet. And Kathy and I, down through the years, have helped dozens and dozens of people through uh, Dave Ramsey's program. I truly do love what I do. But I love the fact that I'm putting truth of God's word into their lives and really transforming them. So what are some of the principles that, that we help and we teach? Well, principles like Proverbs 10:22 says, the blessings of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. I translate this to my young clients that said that their home is to be a blessing and not a curse. And if you buy above your means, you get too much house. This was the problem when rates were at 2% and 3%. They had a lot more buying power. But if you stretch yourself too thin, then your dreams of owning a home become a nightmare as you struggle to pay for it over the next period of a long period of time, 15, 20, 30 years, whatever they signed up for. If God is truly blessing you, then that blessing will have no sorrow associated to it. But if you buy too much, you get too far in debt, then those supposed blessings turn into to nightmares. Psalm 62 verse 10 says, If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Translate that to live within your means. If your income increases, you do not have to increase your lifestyle. My grandfather always said, the more money you make, the more you spend. But it doesn't have to be that way. We are not to take the increase for granted because times can become lean. When Kathy and I moved to, Evans, or moved to Indianapolis from Evansville, um, we had an older couple in the, in the community that we lived in in their 80s, and they ended up buying our trailer from us. So we got to know them through and them seeing the home and doing the paperwork, and it was just a single-wide trailer, so we did it basically for sale by owner, so I kind of facilitated all that. But I remember talking with this, this guy at his uh, kitchen table, and this man was actually in the field of, uh, and I probably won't say it right, but aeronautics. Uh, as I talked to him, I found out he was on the team that actually built the Hubble telescope, which was amazing. Um, and he was sharing all that, and he said when him and his wife, Vi, many, many, many years ago, um, when he got the job and he found out where he was going to go, he said my income quickly, literally overnight, more than doubled. And this guy, he was wise. And he says, I looked at my wife, says, well, we've been living on this much, and now we're going to have this much well, why don't we keep living like we're making this much and take this much and put in the bank so that in 20 years or so when they retire that they'll have plenty of money to do with whatever they want to do. And so, uh, so that's what they did. And now here he was retired and they were in their 80s and they, they just they decided they wanted to live here. They went and lived there. If they wanted to live there, they went and lived there because they lived within their means for such a long period of time. They didn't just increase their lifestyle because they could. And one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 27, 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend your herds. 
If you hang around my house, you might hear Kathy or me say to one another, hey, it's time to count the sheep. That's kind of code at our house for, hey, it's time to look at the budget. It's time to get everything pull, pulled together. Time to look at the finances to see what, what those states are. And I recommend that not just do that monthly, but as I said earlier, that uh, you do that at least once a year to look, look over your herd, so to speak. Make sure everybody's where it's, uh, it's supposed to be. This father in Proverbs teaches his son about planning for the future. The father reminds his son that hard work, to work hard and together as opportunity arises. One of the greatest myths I've heard, not from this pulpit ever, but I've heard many pastors say that saving for the future is a lack of faith and dependence upon God. That does not line up with the whole of Scripture. We are called to, uh, in, in Proverbs 21, 20, we read these words, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. It's wise to store up. I've, um, as I said, I've heard some say that that's a lack of faith on God, but it's not. It really, it comes down to the heart. Why are you storing? If you're storing to be greedy and glutton, then that's, that's a different conversation. But if you're storing up because you know that in life there are feasts and there are famines, there are rainy seasons and dry seasons, and you want to be prepared for both, then that's just good biblical wisdom and common sense. It's not a lack of faith. It's actually being obedient to, to the Lord. And this father reminds his son that to look at the ant, how the ant goes out and he works hard and he gathers food. Don't be, don't be like uh, those that just gather it all up. I love the old Disney cartoon. Some of you may remember that with the, the grasshopper and the ants. And the grasshopper, he's busy all summer having a heyday, playing the fiddle, just eating everything. And the ants are busy working. Well, old man winter comes, doesn't it? And you see that, that grasshopper tightening his belt up real tight as, as animation does it, and he looks in the window of the tree, and he sees the ants in there having a big party and a big feast. Why? Because they had worked all summer, and they had gathered when, when opportunity had arised. According to the story, the ants even helped the grasshoppers. They, they gather enough food so the grasshoppers don't starve either, if, if, you, if you believe that. So uh, anyway, but those are principles that we teach our young people. And then finally, he tells him to be observant of the time. Don't be like the sluggard. How long will you lay there? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a thief. Scarcity like an armed man. It just kind of creeps in on you. All of us here, myself included, we teach our kids hard work. I was just, I was at Benita's house this week, and we were, she was talking about that with her kids and, and my kids, and I even confessed to Benita that I've been a little softer on the girls, Abigail, as opposed to maybe the boys. <laughs> I haven't made the girls work quite as hard as, as I have the boys, but we make our kids work hard because we know that hard work can help overcome a lot of obstacles in life, can it? If you're hungry... The best thing to do is get a job. 
so hard work goes a long way. When I look back over my work career, I have been blessed. I've been what they call an entrepreneur of sorts. I look back, I have been, most of my life, I have been self-employed or commission-based or what they call piece rate. I can only think of one or two jobs where I actually punched the clock. And we probably have all sorts of people in here. We have self-employed, we have commission, we have some people that punch a clock. You're at the same place every day. You punch in, you punch out. Uh, but I've, I've just been, I say, blessed to not have that. My dad used to call me before, uh, right when he first retired, he'd call me, or, or even before he uh, completely retired, he'd give me a call at 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning. He'd say, are you at work yet? No, no. Well, I got half a day's work in by now. Well, yeah, you get off at 2. You started at, at 6 or, or whatever. But he used to, to tease me a lot about that. And it's true. I have been, I guess, blessed to when I want to go to work, I go to work. If I want the day off, I take the day off. I go in early. I can stay late. I just I pick my own schedule. And there's a lot of freedom in that. But that same freedom, and I know Cindy knows this well, and many of the others that run your own business, that same freedom of, eh, I don't really want to go to work today. Okay, I'm not going to go to work today. That same freedom can be a curse, can be a, a, a distraction, and can allow poverty to um, slip in like a thief. But I also know that some of us that are self-employed, we... We may not be at the office every day at a certain time, but sometimes we're not home when other people are home either, are we? Kathy's called me at 11.30 at night before at the office. Are you coming home tonight? It's busy season. I, I, I might ought to just stay and work all the way through. I'm, I'm so far behind. And so uh, we just were mindful of that. Um, I read a quote years ago by Zig Ziglar, and he said, a timid salesperson has skinny kids. And I determined that day that I would not be timid. I wasn't going to be afraid to pick up the phone. I wasn't going to be afraid to ask for the business because my family was counting on me. And that's what this father is telling his kids here in Proverbs. Work hard. Seize the day. Make hay, as Grandpa said. We make hay when the sun is shining because rain's, rain's coming someday provide for the family, both physically by bringing the money home, but provide for them spiritually as, as in the sense of speaking the truth of God's word in them so that our young people know how to manage money well. First Timothy 5.8, I take to heart, it says, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have a huge responsibility to our kids to make sure they understand God's word when it comes to finances. Bottom line of this message is gain a proper understanding of God's principles. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and that includes how you manage his resources. Application point number one, intentionally seek the scriptures to say what God says about money. Begin to learn and apply God's principles of money to your life. See how God will bless you. Remember, if you are faithful in little things, he will give you more. It might not be more money, though, right? It might be more influence. It might be more responsibility. 
but it will be more if we are faithful with what he's given us. Secondly, get with someone that you trust if you need help. If there's something about God's word or something about finances or anything like that that you don't understand, seek out wisdom. The Bible says there is wisdom in the counsel of others. If you need help, get with someone you trust. Get with someone who might know a little bit more about it than what you do. Dave Ramsey has been successful because he's laid out simple step-by-step plans toward for uh, financial freedom that that people can can follow he tells you he does there's nothing new of his son everything he shares is from god's word and his grandmother he says he just figured out a way to package it better than anybody else Um, so get with other people if you need help in a particular area and then third understand that this is a process that it takes time remember the tortoise and the hare tortoise wins the race every time it's slow and it's steady and honestly i'll tell you i'll confess this is the hardest thing about finances i want instant results i'd rather have instant oatmeal than the old-fashioned oatmeal because it takes too long to boil water i just want to throw it in the microwave and get it done and and i and i struggle with that because that's how i want the finances to be as well i just want to boof i've done what i've done i've accomplished what i've accomplished But it doesn't work that way. It's a process. It's step by step. It's doing the right things over and over and over on a period of time. And finally, you'll wake up one day and, wow, I've got a pretty good little nest egg saved back. How did I get there? It wasn't overnight. It was, as Dave says, baby steps, baby steps along the way. My prayer for you is that you too can find the freedom that comes with managing money the way God would have you to manage it.